0: Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop GIST Yarn and Fiber. Hi everyone! I can tell fall must be right around the corner because I'm getting a flurry of extra emails about project planning questions and alpaca and wool yarn is starting to fly off the shelves. Don't you just love this time of year for weaving? There's so many possibilities and so many cozy things to create for yourself or to gift to loved ones. And here at Just Yarn, we have lots of fun and creativity on the horizon. I'm preparing to bring on some new yarn and wool roving and natural dye supplies into my shop. And also finishing up the planning phase for my new line of weaving yarn, which is set to launch for pre-orders this fall. Lots going on, and you can stay tuned to this podcast and my email list to hear more about that journey as it unfolds. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Angela Laswell-Smith, the founder and creative director of Pearl and Loop. Pearl and Loop specializes in making products to help weavers, including their wildly popular Swatchmaker 3-in-1, and a lot of other portable handheld looms and accessories. Hi, Angela. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to participate. So can you start up by introducing yourself and your own story and also your company, Pearl and Loop? Certainly.
1: Uh, So my name is Angela Laswell-Smith, and I grew up in um, Springfield, Illinois. And when I was growing up, I just had this dream of um, I read too many books basically and so I got it in my head that I was going to travel and um, go live in different places outside of Illinois and um, after I went to college at University of Illinois, I joined the Peace Corps and in 1993 about 10 days after college graduation I moved to Almaty Kazakhstan and I learned how to survive in a at that time what was considered more of a third world country and learned to speak Russian, learned to deal with um being cold and there were no grocery stores. (laughs) So you had to go to like a green market and all that kind of stuff and how to entertain myself without uh English language TV. And um and then when I was over there, when I was working for Ernst and Young, I was talking to the managing partner and saying, you know, how do I get that? you know, really good job that some of these other people have here. What do I need to do to earn that? And he said I needed to get a technical degree. And that meant going back to grad school and getting an MBA. So I moved uh, in 1996 back to the United States, and I went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and uh, started my MBA program there. I, I would have to say that when I started the MBA program, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I just knew that I needed to get a a higher degree and that was key to going into a different direction in my life. So I majored in or focused in operations. But back then in the nineteen, you know, mid nineteen nineties, like my dream at that time became more about manufacturing and process and how do you make things happen and, you know, deal with um Problems in production, or how do you manage those things to keep things going smoothly? I just thought that was fascinating. Um, but the kind of jobs that were available to women back then weren't weren't readily available. Uh, I would in my dream world, I wanted to work in in manufacturing, and um, that was just a different environment back then. so I ended up going uh doing internship in uh process flow mapping for a software implementation company. And, and between my two years of uh business school, I drove out to Houston, Texas, and I was absolutely terrified. Even though I'd lived all around, I lived in the Soviet Union and traveled around the world by myself, for some reason, when it came to traveling within the United States, I just had a, a different image. Cause we didn't travel very much growing up. I made it to Houston. I was terrified, I had this image of what Houston, Texas was gonna be like. I got safely to my destination. I never got out of the car from New Orleans uh, all the way to Houston. And um, (laughs) I didn't stop for anything. I was so kind of scared, it was completely unfounded. And um, met my husband. He came outside to greet me at my car. And I was like, wow. And I married him a year later. I didn't know he was gonna be my husband at that time. And so we lived in Houston and, um, for about a year and loved it. And then I, I worked in consulting and um, then followed my husband when he uh, took a job up in the uh, Northeast in Stanford, Connecticut. And we did that for a couple of years and then um, came back to Houston. We really did miss it and we missed the warmth. And then I decided, I wanted more control over my schedule wanted to be able to be a a dog mama and take my dog to the vet when she needed to go to the vet and just have more flexibility and control and so i decided to go into real estate and i practiced real estate for 10 years in houston and um, in the 10th year the very first quarter of the 10th year i um, hit top producer for that quarter in my office and was completely unexpected I had been working so hard and just didn't even realize I had had those sales and you know that was I was getting congratulated and supposed to be phenomenal and something that you'd say hey I'm going to work this hard for the rest of the year because I'm going to make top producer for the whole year and at that moment when my husband said you know what do you want to do to celebrate I'm like you know this isn't I don't want to celebrate if this is as good as it feels. I've had my ladder against the wrong wall for 10 years, and, or nine years probably at that point. And I said, this isn't, I'm working so hard and I thought it would feel more satisfying that I'd feel a sense of accomplishment and, that, and I'm not motivated to work this hard going forward to try to you know, hold on to the status and make this, get this uh, reward award for the entire year. So, at that point, I decided I needed to find something different to do, and I didn't know what. And I knew I loved um, yarn. I self-taught. I'm a self-taught knitter, and I would go down to the little local yarn shop um, when I was a realtor and uh, hang out maybe during the day before I'd go show property in the evening. And these wonderful ladies showed me how to do cable stitches and all kinds of things, and. I got confident and I started looking around the yarn shop and just thinking about, well, gosh, why why has that yarn been sitting on that shelf for the last two months? And why, why are there so many customers here asking for classes, but there's maybe not a class offered or whatever it was? I would just hear things and wonder about it. And that's when I got the idea that maybe I should own a yarn shop or maybe try to buy that particular yarn shop. And I tried and did a business plan. And, and so so on and things just didn't work out uh, in that direction i decided to take that money that i had set aside for a down payment to open up my own yarn shop or buy a yarn shop and flip it and do an online yarn shop an online retail business and my goal when i when i did that which kind of goes into how Pearl and Loop came about, was when I was a real estate agent, I would have limited time. You know, I might have an evening free or one weekend day that I had no appointments. And so that was a real sacred time. And I wanted to do something crafty. Uh, I might order what I thought was a kit from a a shop um, or, or try to get all the materials and go to my local yarn shop. And they wouldn't be available, or like I said, I'd order and thinking I'm getting everything I need, and then I'd sit down for the night or sit down for the day thinking, All right, I get to do this all day or all night, and then realize, oh, I'm missing a little tapestry needle, or I'm missing thread to kind of sew the edges together, I'm missing all these components, and I have to go out and hunt for them. And then, guess what? The day's gone, or the night's gone. And I realized at that point that I really wanted to have a a business that provided kits to people that for busy people like I was at that time who wanted to do something fun and crafty, but modern, not have to spend so much time driving around to all the little local craft stores, trying to find the supplies, you know, in our case, you know, in Houston, parking, finding parking, and then getting into the store, going through that heat, frankly, and and then coming out empty handed. It was a very frustrating experience, and I felt like there was a, a market out there who would be willing to pay for the convenience and quality of, of higher um, quality supplies and crafts. So when I did my online business, I did a focus on kits. So start out selling uh, wool buddy kits, for example, um, and wool and hoops. Kits that were made in the United States that had pretty much everything you need. And you know, maybe you might need scissors, but there are things that you would readily have available at home. And I sold those kits. I, I was a retailer. I would go around uh, when I was getting started, I would go around to little local church craft shows and local um, fiber festivals and things like that. And then at that time, I'd had a lot of yarn. I had these ideas to put put together like a, a knitting kit, but and I created a a pattern, just a you know five uh, knit, five pearl washcloth pattern, and put some uh, cotton yarn with it, and added some snips, and then got you know cotton bags and stamped our logo on it, and packaged it up really pretty. And one day, um, Williams Sonoma's Agrarian Group uh, called and said, "Hey, would you?" would you do that for us? And then that's when I realized that maybe I had kind of a a good idea of the aesthetic that I could put something together and, and people would, would like it. And so I started then creating more of my own kits. That was kind of the validation I needed. It was a one-time thing where we, we sold kits to agrarian. And, but then I took that, experience and started creating needle felting kits myself for little bowls um, more knitting kits and at that time we had someone who started making these looms for us Um, they were made by hand traditional woodworking method but it could take a long time to get the looms and we didn't really have control over that production and what i was paying for them i couldn't Put together kits and wholesale it. It was I was paying the wholesale price for those for those looms. And around that time, um, my husband had found um, an article in the newspaper talking about these art studios that were opening up in um, the east side of downtown, and he got me a studio, and I was nervous, you know, I just felt like I can't, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna do over there on that east side of town. It felt far away. It wasn't anywhere near my house. Um, but it had to he, he, I, I needed to take that step. I needed to get out of working in at home. It was very distracting for me, and it was overtaking my house. And when I joined the Art Square Studios, there was a laser studio there and she had this uh, big laser machine and I was kinda like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's that's nice. Cause I didn't understand what it was, I didn't know what it meant and I just was very comfortable kind of doing my own little thing. And she sent out this email saying, hey, all you studio people who wanna uh, learn laser basics, I'm offering a class, you know, one time $25 fee. And so I signed up the person who was working with me a few hours a week as my assistant and signed her up for it. She was really interesting, interested in it. And I, I decided to take the class too. And, um, my assistant at the time, she really wasn't interested after the first 15 minutes, but I was fascinated. And then I realized I could redesign the loom or the concept of it into something that could be cut on a laser machine and then do assembly. And maybe I could make these looms and put together kits and now I could actually sell them wholesale. And that's what we did. And I quickly put together a prototype, a few few prototypes and thought, hey, when I go to, I think I was going to Stitches um, Midwest, that August, and I thought I'll take some and show them to some of the people I knew, you know, that I always like had a booth across from or got to know at the shows and see what they say. And um, company uh, called Buffalo Wool Company said, Hey, you know, if you can put our logo on it, will take 100. And I'm like, okay. And we did it and they sold out like, in couple hours, and then they ordered another hundred. And at that time, we had different means of production and things weren't always in my control because I didn't always have access to that laser machine or the materials. And we used to use an uh, oil-based protective coating on those wounds and that could take a day or so to dry in between coats in the humidity of Houston. And so we did it, we got it done. Um, And then I started to realize, ah, there's gotta be different ways to do this. There's gotta be ways to streamline your manufacturing and your production and who does the gluing, who does that. And then that's really when Pearl and Loop started to move away from becoming a retailer into more of a manufacturer. And the, the business really changed direction. And I hired um, two people during that time. And uh, those two people still work for me. That was a point in the business where you start talking about, you're, you're talking to people who have perhaps more business expertise than yourself. And they're saying, okay, well, how much business are you doing? And you're like, well, I'm only doing X. Well, you can't possibly justify buying a laser if you're only doing X. But the part, thing is that, no one realizes that you can't do X plus until you have your own machinery. Like no matter what I did, I was never going to be able to produce more than X number of looms. Nothing was going to get me to produce more than X number of looms. If I didn't have access to my own machinery at the number of hours I needed it because the laser studio we were renting from her business was growing and it was growing in a direction, um, that, Leasing time to us on her lasers was not a good business decision for her. And so she needed to grow her business and that way. I needed to grow mine. I needed more access. And, um, so this was all like kind of the background kind of going on when, um, Liz Gibson sent me this email and says, uh, Hey, you know, what would you think about designing a loom for me, a special project? um I am writing a book and I need to fail faster and I have to tell you my first instinct was that no I, I was I, I started to type out no not interested because I couldn't imagine trying to get access on my limited time anyway on the laser machine and the software I needed to design that loom or what you know come up with a project and I hadn't even talked to her so I didn't even know what she really wanted I just couldn't imagine it. And it was my husband actually, who said, don't say no so quick, um, so quickly talk to Liz, uh, just see what she's thinking about. So I scheduled a phone call with her and she told me, you know, what, what she needed. And she said, it has to have these three options it has to be all in one. I'm like thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know. And then all of a sudden it's like all the pieces in my brain after about 20 minutes of talking to her, all went into alignment, like a light bulb. And and then, of course, in the manufacturing part of me, which is my absolute number one love is manufacturing, was thinking, oh, is this is how we could do the parts, and we can do this, we do that, all going on in my brain. And I said, well, just give me some time. I think I have an idea. I think I can You you need three options in one product, and you need to be able to put it in a purse, so to speak, a big purse, uh, carry it around. Let me take what we've already done and then see how we can modify that to to accommodate you. And so we did our first prototypes of the Swatchmaker 3-in-1s. I put the listing on the website, gave Liz the link, and forgot about it. Christmas came, um, New Year's Eve comes, and all of a sudden, it's New Year's Day. And my husband and I are sitting at uh, Central Market here in Houston, having a cup of coffee on New Year's Day and um, a little bit of breakfast, and is thinking about how do we want to spend the day. And he looks down at my phone, which was turned face down. He's like, why is your phone so bright? And I'm like, I don't know. And I touched it, I said, it's hot. And I said, I don't know what's going on, it's New Year's Day, like, it's like people are placing orders, you know, like who, who, everyone's recovering, why would they be doing that? And I put my phone over and I see like a couple hundred orders for something. Um, I just see the, the amount, the, the product price plus the shipping and I didn't have anything in my in my brain um, I was thinking I don't have anything that costs that much and thinking somebody hacked my site like somebody got in and they're they're selling all kinds of products on my website that I don't I don't have I'm like and and the money's going you know like into the merchant services account and I'm thinking what what is going on how, how did this happen and then I actually click on an order And I see it's for the swatch maker three in one that Liz had sent this email out talking about it and bragging on it and doing all these, saying all these great things about it. And her followers went to our site and bought hundreds of these, these looms. And then at that moment, I knew. I could not even begin to meet that demand where I was at in that little studio. I had no choice. I was I had to have a laser. I had to have a space um bigger and I really had to um kick things into gear and just take that leap.
0: Yeah, I I appreciate you sharing that that journey with me and I I loved hearing, you know, like fairly early on in in the story you were telling about your own life journey and professional experience, how you had always been interested in manufacturing and you like went into business because that was something that intrigued you. And as a woman, you felt like you couldn't work in that and you found your way into running your own manufacturing company. And I think it's such such a powerful and inspiring message, the, the journey that you've been on. So thanks for sharing that so you talked a little bit about the three-in-one the maker mini loom that you made with liz what are some of the other weaving projects that or weaving tools that you make we make one of our um most
1: popular things right now is our bracelet loom and we also um, started making a set checker and um they again the set checker came like we we started playing around with it and then um Liz uh got a hold of it and she started playing around with it and then she's like, what if you do this? What if you do that? What if you do this? What if you do that? And we're like, Okay, okay, okay. You know, we're like, sure. And we um started uh modifying it and that has been a popular little tool that we can that that weavers can um, work with. It has like three options where you can wrap yarn ar- uh, around it to see what's my warp going to look like if it's at eight ends per inch or ten ends per inch or twelve ends per inch, and it's just a great way to compare uh, what your warps are going to look like, and it's a um, inexpensive little tool
0: where can people go to learn more about you and your looms on social media and on the internet
1: we have um on our website pearl loop.com we do have videos and how-to videos not as many as we'd like but we're working on that we're getting over our uh, you know kind of self-consciousness of, of being in the videos and um we're posting more videos we've got our instagram page um pearl and loop and Facebook is Pearl Loop, and then we have our Pinterest boards as well, Pearl and Loop. And we're always putting up our newest ideas, newest products, our samples, and um, then uh, you know videos. And then when people, if people want to get on our mailing list, our email blast list, we send out an email blast. We try to once a month. Sometimes if we're doing a promotion, maybe we're, you know if you spend a certain amount of money, you get you know, a set checker, or a on set checker, will send out that kind of email. But we really do just one email blast a month and uh, people can find out what what's happening that way. And we do try to keep it really short. Like if you, if you can't read it in about two minutes, then it, it's too long in our opinion. So um, that's how we keep all of our customers in the loop with what's going on. And uh, we post very regularly to our social media pages
0: well I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing the story of your journey and how your products developed and how your how your business is growing and I'm wondering if you could close out by sharing any advice you might have for weavers out there
1: yeah um you know regards to weavers one of the big questions we get from a lot of people is can I weave with this and can I weave with that and I think the answer should be, wow, what would happen if I did weave with this and did weave with that? Because I think you can weave with anything. We've seen people weave with paper. We've seen people weave with grass, with um, materials that none of us would, would normally think of in weaving beyond just like the normal weaving yarns. And so for weavers, I would say I wouldn't follow the I, – I don't follow rules. Um, I wouldn't follow rules. I'd work with the materials they love to work with. And, um, but also it, it, for any weavers out there, he might also be, um, doing a business or wanting to grow their weaving business, or or fiber related business. I would say to, to focus on, on, on that business. Don't allow, um, don't allow yourself to be, uh, distracted by, um, you know, maybe doing something else to generate more income. I mean, unless you I recognize some people might have, have to do that. But, um, you know, if you can put the energy and time into posting your work on social media and Pinterest and Instagram and get people, let people see your, your great ideas and, um, and, and focus on that. It, it does work. And when, we, when we've done it, we've, we've seen results, really good results.
0: Well, thank you so much, Angela. I appreciate you coming on the podcast today.
1: You're very welcome,
0: Sarah. That's a wrap. To see photos of some of the looms and swatchmakers Angela was talking about and to find the links to her website and social media, visit www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 31. And hey, truly thank you to those who have been donating to support the podcast. If you'd like to kick in a few bucks to help us keep making new episodes, we would be very grateful and we'll put your donation to good use. You can go to www.gistyarn.com podcast and click on the donate button. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking to Casey Lynn Martinez about a participatory public art and textile project she led in Muncie, Illinois. I can't wait to share this one with you, so tune in next Monday, and until next time, happy weaving!